Well, hello, Oddballs. It's your host, Bobby. And your co-host, Lexi. And this is Oddities on on Elm Street. Welcome back for episode 38. 38. Yeah. Sure is. We're so glad to have you joining us today. Okay, so... A couple things before we get started. The mini episode that you've all been waiting very patiently for is finally on our Patreon. And our videos and pictures from the Asylum Tour. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in checking that out, head on over to our Patreon. You can see Bob and I in a tunnel. <coughs> yeah. <laughs> a very spooky tunnel. Um... So yeah, that's patreon.com slash oddities on Elm Street. We also have some exciting things coming up, like a little giveaway. So make sure to like check back in for that because I'll be sharing the details within the next couple weeks. And as always, if you have any personal stories you'd like to share with us, please send them them on over to listenertales at gmail.com. Listenertales at gmail.com. Yes, we would love to possibly read them on our next Listener Tales episode. Mm Mm-hmm. Send us your shit. But yeah, I I think that's all I got for you right now. And... Morbid (laughs) tidbit. Okay, so... This one spooks me out. I don't like it. Um, we all know Mount Everest. I hope. Um, <laughs> have you seen, like, videos of people climbing Mount Everest? I mean, not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's not something I search in my free time. <laughs> no, it's, it's not at all <clears throat> what I expected. Like, there's huge lines of people, just like single file. Moving one step at a time up the summit. Like, I don't know what what I had in my head, but it wasn't that. Like, how many people? Like, hundreds. What? Yes. It's it's crazy. I'll have to show you a video after we're done. Really not fun. Yeah. Um, That's what I'm saying. And I don't know. Like, how many of them actually make it up there? Right, like... Like, what do they do? Just turn around? Where's the turnaround point? Where's the bathroom breaks? Good good question. I mean, they, I know they have camps, like, along the way and stuff. Right, but if you're just, like, going right on up in these marches, like, Maybe how big of an issue is you're like, I really gotta go, guys. Yeah, well, and, like, it's like, how, where do you go? Yeah, like, how far off do you have to venture? Because you don't know all these hundred people. Not like that, but, like, fucking avalanche. <laughs> you could get swiped off the side of the mountain. This is very true. Yeah. I don't know. It's just okay, crazy what you got me. about our girl Everest? So, uh, obviously, it's super dangerous. And there's not, like, an exact known number, but there's been at least 200 people that have died trying to climb Mount Everest. Mm-hmm. It's not just dangerous for the climbers, it's dangerous for the rescuers as well. So, because it's so difficult to get up there and collect these bodies, Mm -hmm. they just leave them up there. Not only that, 
but some of these bodies are used for trail markers. How fucking morbid is that? Um, like, you pass the dead body of Frank and you know that you're eight miles away from the top? Like, no, what? I'm, that's <laughs> literally, yeah. Um, and like, I was reading that some of these bodies obviously become more exposed with lighter snow cover. Uh-huh. And some of these, like, some hikers have to physically climb over no. these corpses. Yeah. Seems very disrespectful. It does. And it's also, like, you're climbing up this mountain and you see this dead person just standing there. I would turn right around. Because I don't want that to be me. Mm-mm. Crazy. Absolutely Such not. a weird thing us humans do, you know? Using Why do we feel the need to... Trail markers. No, climb a mountain. Who are you people? <laughs> Seriously, uh, though, I'm not into it. No, I could never. <laughs> couldn't be me. I don't know. I was watching something. There was a comedian. It was like... I think he's from Ireland or something. And he's like, it's interesting being over here. <laughs> we, you guys see a mountain and you're like... Let's climb it. That's what I'm saying. Like, and in Ireland, we're just like, oh, beautiful. <laughs> that's that's it. Yeah, just look at it. Let's not fucking kill ourselves climbing it. I know, and it's like it, that seems like literal torture. Mm-hmm. Because you're like freezing cold. You have to go without food. No bathroom breaks. Like, what are you doing up there? Like, yeah, I can take on this much misery. I'm a badass and I can do it. I mean, it is pretty badass. I I will say that. Wow. Interesting. All right. So for today, we have a true haunt for you all. Uh, A true haunt? Yes. We're going to talk about Kenyon College. Mm -hmm. But it's not just like, oh, there's ghosties there. It's like... It's fucked up. There's some, like, gnarly history. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, terrible tragedy. Mm-hmm. Well, before we start, I want to say thank you to the Morbid Podcast, because that's how I heard about this. And I think that they, like, I think one of their followers emailed information Elizabeth. into them. Fucking Elizabeth. Yep. <laughs> All right. So, Kenyon College is a private liberal arts college located in Gambier, Ohio. It has like a thousand acres of campus. Uh, It's a pretty rural area. It was founded in 1824 by Bishop Philander Chase. That's his name. Okay. As of 2023, it has just under 2,000 students enrolled. Hmm. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so it's almost 200 years old, like 199 years to be exact. Right, wow. And it's, I was able to find like newspaper clippings that go all the way back to 1905, which is the main story that we're going to talk about when that Hmm. takes place. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's where we're going to start. Okay, let me set the scene. It's 1905, and an 18-year-old boy named Stuart Lathrop Pearson, has arrived on campus. Stuart was a freshman entering the Delta Kappa Epsilon fraternity, just like his father had many years before. And Stuart's father, 
Newbold. It's an interesting name. I've actually never heard that. Mm-mm. Newbold. It doesn't sound real. <clears throat> I think they made it up. Isn't that how, how all names are, though, really? Yeah. Just put words together. Bob-ba-ee-boo-bee. <laughs> <laughs> Bob the Builder. All right, so we have Newbold. And he actually joined his son on the night of his initiation, which took place on October 28th. Um, Stuart had been up all night waiting for his father's train to arrive because I guess it was late. So going into initiation, he was already exhausted and it's about to get a lot worse because of hazing. And, you know, some of the tactics that they use during hazing include things like sleep deprivation. That's, it's so crazy to me. Like, how is that legal? I don't understand how that's still happening. I do not know. It's, and how, it's like a free-for-all. Yeah. It's like like their own little hunger games. I'm so confused. (laughs) So anyways, it's pledge week at Kenyon College. There have already been a few hazing rituals being done throughout the week. I guess one other thing they made um, some of the freshmen do was, like, get on their hands and knees and push peanuts across the lawn with their noses. Because that Um, is a true indication of someone's character. Yeah. I mean... I do it. It seems tame. But it also is, like, okay, is the whole point of doing this just to humiliate each other? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't understand Which why is... anyone would want to be a part of that, but you do you, boo-boo. So, as a part of this initiation, Stuart was brought to a railroad bridge that crossed over the Kokosing River, I think is how you say it. And according to the guys who were part of this initiation, Stuart wasn't brought there, according to them. He was sent there. He went there on his own free will, okay? Right, 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 right. But he essentially was left there. And when I say left there, I may or may not mean that he was tied to the tracks. So, again, because nobody would admit to it, but we'll get into all that later. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, what these fraternity bros didn't know is that an unscheduled train was heading straight toward Stuart. It was only going that way because of maintenance. So, and like, honestly, there was really no way for them to know that. But that's, you know. Doesn't mean that's a great reason. That's why you don't tie your brethren to the train tracks. Right. So at 941 that night, the train struck Stuart and Stuart was dead. So... The train that killed Stewart was Cleveland, Akron, and Columbus Locomotive Number 26, which was being engineered by a man named Jeff Venata and a fireman named Gus Brokowski. So both of them said that they didn't see anything on the tracks, and they were running speeds up to 50 miles per hour. It wasn't until they slowed down to come to their designated stopping place that Gus jumped down and something caught his eye. While he's bending down to take a closer look, he saw a piece of fabric going up into the locomotive's ash bin. And when he reached in and pulled on the fabric, it just kept coming. 
And soon enough, he was shocked to see that he was holding the bloody remains of a jacket Mm. in his hands. So three of the fraternity brothers returned to the scene where they left Stuart, only to realize that he was no longer there. And it wasn't too long before they stumbled upon Stuart's mangled body. He was about 60 feet down the tracks, his head missing, his right hand nearly severed, and his left knee entirely detached from his body. Mm. And just as they discover this horrific scene, they hear the whistle of another train quickly approaching. It was another unscheduled train sent through for maintenance. So the fraternity brothers grab Stuart's body and drag it along the tracks until they reach safety. And while this is happening, Stuart's father, Newbold, hears the whistle of the train. I'm sure his heart dropped. Yeah. Because remember, trains are not actually supposed to be a part of this. This is only like, it's a scare tactic. They're not supposed to come on Saturday evenings. Right. So Newbold hears the train and starts to whistle to signal the frat boy boys or whatever. They like they had a certain whistle. They would whistle like three times or something. And they had a signal that they all agreed upon. This is the Hunger Games. That's what I'm saying, bro. It's wild to me. Like it really is just a free-for-all. Like, do whatever the fuck you want. So he whistles three times. And now on the other side of the bridge. The group of frat bros holding Stuart's body hear Newbold's whistling and they panic. They didn't want to be seen by him holding their son's remains, right? So they ran up the tracks to the college president's house. They woke up the school president, a 37-year-old man named William Pierce, and told him that they had found Stuart Pearson and that he was dead. Stuart's body was then taken into William Pierce's home, where they called a doctor. Very strange. Very interesting way to go about this. Um, you know, you should you should call authorities, obviously, but then also with like a violent death like this, a coroner needs to be involved. Um, yeah, but instead they call this doctor who isn't, you know, equipped for at all right. to handle these types of cases. Not a corner. <laughs> yeah. So the doctor comes in and basically is just there to, I don't know, declare him dead, I guess. I don't know what's like, going through their minds. His head. What do you fucking think? Right. Uh, he's definitely dead. And newspaper reports are vague. So we don't know like how Newbold was informed of his son's death. But sometime after 4 a.m., Newbold decides that he's going to put his son's body on a train to have been sent back to their home in Cincinnati. I guess his reasoning for this was because he he didn't want his wife to find out about their son's death from the newspaper. But, like, my God, would you really want to see your son in that type of condition? I feel like I would rather hear about it from a newspaper and have that image burned into my head, but that's Mm. just me. So it wasn't until Stewart's body is already on the train headed toward his home in Cincinnati that the school's president, William Pierce, finally decided to contact authorities. 
the county coroner, Dr. William Scarborough, was furious. Not only was there this huge delay between Stewart's death and then them finally being informed about it, but his body had already been removed from the county, and the scene of the incident had already been cleaned up. Um, like, they literally paid... Well, they didn't pay him. They bribed. They sat, yeah, they said, here's $3. <laughs> we will give you $3 if you make sure that all of the bloody mess is cleaned up off from this track. And the guy never did get his $3. So the scene's already cleaned up. As a result, Coroner Scarborough decides that he's going to board the next available train to Cincinnati to examine Stuart Pearson's body himself. So once he arrives in Cincinnati... He's joined by two other detectives, and upon examining Stuart's body, guess what they find? Rope fibers. Wow. No, no, no. He must have tied himself up. So, obviously, that leads them to believe that Stuart was tied down with a rope to the train tracks. Also on Stuart's body is a note pinned to his chest. The fraternity brothers did admit to that. They said, you know, it's just part of their little hazing ritual. And the note said, quote, This will do for this time, but if we come again, it'll be worse. Which I don't... Do you understand that? No. Because I don't. No. I, I get have what no that idea what that's to about. Mean. No clue. So, Dr. Scarborough informs Stuart's father, Newbold, of his findings and said that he intended to hold a, quote, rigid investigation. And that they would likely ask for Newbold's testimony during the investigation. But Newbold instead issued a statement in the newspaper saying that he firmly believed that his son was not tied to the tracks. Uh, he said that because Stuart had waited up for his train to come in the night of his initi initiation, he was so tired. He must have curled up on these comfy, cozy train tracks mm -hmm. and fell asleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe he wasn't technically tied to the rails, but maybe he was just fucking tied up and left on the rails. Yeah. Like... Like hog-tied or something. Yeah, you can't like, move. what are you going to do, right? I don't know. So, I mean, but just remember, his father is also a frat bro. Like... Yeah. Of the same fraternity. Yeah, so it's and that's pretty like, serious. I don't know how things work nowadays. I've never been a part of a sorority or anything, but... um, I have. You're such a fucking liar. <laughs> Did you see my face? I was actually questioning my sanity. Just for a second. And then you're like, nah, nah. she's just fucking stupid. <laughs> no. <laughs> but this... It seems very culty to me. Uh, Just from like the pledges I, and stuff yeah, that they take, it's yeah. um, it's like this is at not least back in this be day. taken so. Why is this so serious to you? But like you're just a bunch of fucking college age kids, and you're like, we will oh, die for <laughs> each other. <laughs> I don't get it. I will but... never tell anyone any of the secrets. Otherwise, let my name be dragged through the mud. My fucking kids and shit be cursed. <laughs> yeah, no. For all it's, eternity. It's, um, they're very it's die hard. It's wild. Yeah. Um, so 
The final ruling that was issued by Dr. Scarborough about his findings while examining Stewart's body, and this is verbatim, this is what he says, quote, The testimony establishes beyond a question of doubt that Stuart L. Pearson was lying about 20 feet west of the abutment between the rails of the main track of the C.A.N.C. Railway Company west of Gambier Station. From the condition of the body of the said Stuart Pearson, which had been sent out of Knox County to Cincinnati, and from which examination I found evidence of having been bound or tied at the wrist and at the ankles, and which, in conjunction with all of the evidence adduced, I find, therefore, that the said Stuart Pearson was either tied fast to the railroad track or railroad, railroad ties or otherwise bound and tied in such a manner that he could not extricate himself from his perilous position. Mm-hmm. And while so tied and bound in that manner, was run over by an engine and tender going west on said railroad, which struck him while lying flat between the rails of the main track on said bridge and in that manner met his death. End quote. So, Coroner Scarborough is saying the evidence is clear. Um, this report wasn't issued until November 11th, and he, remember, he died back on October 28th. Of but, the same year? Yes. But the only reason it took so long is because he's trying to figure out, I mean, what's going on, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, everything was very quickly covered up and hush-hush, mm-hmm. so... And no one was ever held responsible. I talked earlier about how the frat bros, like, whisked Stuart's body away from the scene, which is very illegal, by the way. Um, they bribed that man. Mm-hmm. I think his name was Ralph. They told him, you know, if you, whatever you find, put it in a box and bury it. We don't want anything to do with it. And Ralph said that he he never found Stuart's head, mm-hmm. but he did find, like, pieces of skull bone in his jaw, like his jawbone, mm-hmm. and some pieces of clothing with, like, muscle and tissue still <sighs> attached to it. Oh, God. Um, also at the scene was a basket. And inside of this basket was rope, cigarettes, a razor, some fig cakes, in case you got hungry. And a cloth doused in chloroform. Casual college shit. That's okay. <laughs> so, the I mean, these guys are trying to say they never actually used the chloroform. It's just <laughs> meant to scare the pledges, you know? It's fine. And the college president tried to say that um, hazing's not a part of their culture. At Kenyon yeah, College. Shut the fuck up. But there were some past pledges that came forward with some very interesting information. These former pledges said that they were forced to do things like eating an entire bar of soap. Um they were physically assaulted. I mean who what type of person gets joy out of seeing someone do that? I don't get it. Like, yeah, eat this bar of soap. This is so bitch. funny. <laughs> Like, what? Who thinks of stuff like this? This is... I don't know. This is psychopathic shit. It's just a bunch of young, immature boys that are given all this freedom and... 
They so run with gonna, it. Yeah, they they're fucking gonna run with it. Make people do whatever. Eat this bar of soap. So, this is what they believe happened. They think Stuart was led there, tied to the tracks, blindfolded, and pretty much told, you're gonna stay here until a train comes and runs you over. R.I.P. And then they left him there, not realizing that a train would actually be coming that night. And then obviously they went back out to get him, but found him dead. And then the cover-up started. Mm Mm-hmm. So now let's get into the hauntings that are associated with all of that. Oh, and by the way, like, Stuart's story is not the only tragic thing that's happened here. Right. But I'll, and I'll get into that a little bit later, but we're going to talk about just the hauntings associated with him. So the rest of the frat bros in the initiation, I'm going to call them that until I'm done. (laughs) You should. The frat bros... And the initiation itself was held in what they call the West Wing Bullseye Building. It's a a building that was part of the Delta Kappa Epsilon fraternity and still is. Okay. So people even today have reported seeing a full body apparition on the fourth floor, which is where the initiation would have taken place back Mm. on that night in 1905. And this apparition, believed to be Stuart, is seen most often on the anniversary of his death. I'm so jealous. I want to see an apparition. I'm surprised you haven't. I know. Maybe you just need to put your baby monitor. No. (laughs) Well, then, you know, it's your own fault. (laughs) So when people see Stuart, he's usually facing the window, looking out toward the train tracks. Um, they have, like, archives on their website, and they actually talk about these hauntings on the Kenyon College archives. So, one story comes from a student named John. He attended Kenyon College in 2004. He, like everyone else, had heard of Stuart's story. You know, it's like the big talk of the town. Mm -hmm. So, on the night of October 28th, the anniversary of Stuart's death, John decides that he's going to lock his dorm window nice and tight because he's worried that people are going to mess with it. And he explains it's like an old rusty lock. So once you shut it, not only is it hard to get back open, but it makes a lot of noise. Right. So it's not something where the wind would just be able to blow it open. And if someone did open it... He should be able to hear it. He would hear it. It would wake you up out of your sleep. So... John said that he woke up in the middle of the night and the window was wide open. He never heard it. No one came in the room. Nothing. Another story he told is that of another night, while sleeping with his girlfriend, he felt cold hands touch him. At first, he wasn't super freaked out because he's just assuming... He's with his girlfriend. Right. Um, She was dead asleep, so he got up and just started to look around. He turned the lights on and noticed a small crawl space door that was tucked inside of the closet. I hate that so much. He said there was a padlock on it, but the padlock had been broken. John, who is much braver than I, <laughs> for fucking real. went in there with a flashlight. He says, you know, just a crawl space. Nothing too out of the ordinary, except for the fact that all over the walls... 
He found tons of signatures. There's pledge books in there. A bunch of Delta Kappa pins from, from the past. And on one of the walls was a signature that read SLP 05. Stuart Lothrop Pearson, 1905. Crazy that it's 1905. I know. When I hear 05, I think of 2005. Right, yeah. So, like I said, this is not the only tragic thing. In 2016, a student fell from that window. Um, The one where Stuart is always seen standing. Thankfully, he survived. He was severely injured. But now the school has metal bars covering just that specific window. How fucking weird is that? Um, another story is February 27, 1949. There was a sophomore dance. And after this dance, all the boys headed back to their dorm rooms. The building that they were in was newly built and had new fireplaces installed in place of the old ones. So the flues from the old fireplaces had been blocked off because they were no longer in use. That evening, the evening of the stance, the students lit fires in some of the new fireplaces, and one of them just happened to spark just in the right way that it somehow made its way up into the old chimney flue and then conjured up a fire in between the walls on the first and second floor. Now, eventually, the fire burst through the walls, engulfing the building at around 4 a.m., which is very unfortunate because that's when most people are sleeping. Mm-hmm. As the students fight to make their way out, seven of them die from asphyxiation and two others die from internal injuries and skull fractures because they had jumped from higher mm-hmm. levels to try and make it out. So people, oh, this gives me chills just thinking about it. People reported that while this fire was taking over the building, the boys. I can't even. <sighs> The boys that had died from asphyxiation because they just, they simply just couldn't make it out, could be heard singing while waiting to die as a way to comfort themselves. That is some nightmare shit. That's so awful. So by 1951, they had constructed a brand new building, literally smack dab on the middle of the old one. Uh, The inside's different, but the outside is an exact replica. And now the students of that dorm will hear voices, people screaming, calling for help. One student said they were shaken out of bed and heard pounding on their door. And then they heard a clear voice say, Ed, wake up, fire. And he later learned that he was staying in Edward Browd's dorm room. Another common thing being reported by these students is pounding on doors in the sounds of boys singing. Oh. (sighs) How haunting would that that be to hear that? Horrifying. Gosh. So, on the Kenyan archive, there's another story from another student. And this student told his professor about like paranormal activity that people had been reporting and Mm -hmm. saying that some people had been like seeing like apparitions, full body apparitions. And uh, when he had finally seen one, he thought it was really odd because he was only seeing it from the knees up. And this student was saying that he had like 
it was on the fourth floor, but another student underneath him on the third floor could see feet suspended from the ceiling. So in an attempt to try and figure out what this is all about, they started doing research and found out that when the new dorm was built, they had raised the floor 18 inches, which means that these ghosts that they're seeing are on the OG floor. Yeah, they're still existing in the old building. Which is And wild. are just caught in between two different floors. Right. Isn't that crazy? I've never heard of such a thing. It's so spooky. It is. And it, I mean, it, like makes sense but also it's like i don't like it <laughs> yeah i just don't no no um so there is another documented death of a student who fell down an elevator shaft Mm-mm-mm. he was coming home from a party around 2 30 in the morning another student that he was with last saw him waiting for the elevator in the lobby but that student decided to use the stairs so he's in the elevator and it gets stuck between two floors And they believe that he attempted to escape by prying open the door and jumping to a lower floor. And while trying to do this, he missed and fell all the way to the bottom of the elevator shaft. How horrifying. And later died in the hospital. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, So there's a security officer named Dan Turner that has told a lot of stories. And his stories are backed up by his fellow security guards. And this is, this next one is a story from Dan in the 90s. When he began his shift, he was told that one of the buildings was acting up, even though no one was in there. Lights and water in the building kept turning on and off, even though it was empty. So they had officers stationed outside of the building and officers inside to search. No one was inside. No one came out. Now, around 5 a.m. on this particular night, Dan got a call That was put out to all of the security officers. The dispatcher said that they had received three calls, one after another, coming from rooms 511, 611, and 711. These calls were coming in so quickly that it would be humanly impossible for someone to have ran fast enough up to another floor to make these phone calls over and over again. Like, there's just no way. And... Every time the dispatcher answered, all that could be heard was a woman screaming into the phone before hanging up. So they sent Dan along with three other security guards to go check this out. And again, no one saw anyone enter or exit the building. They went through all the rooms, but no one was in there. And they also noted that every exit was locked. On the fifth floor, the shower was running on scalding hot. Just, like, turned on. Just Yeah, it just does that sometimes. No big deal. In the rooms where the calls came from, 511, 611, and 711, Mm -hmm. their lights were on and the phones were unplugged. As they went to leave, but they're still in the building, they got another call from dispatch that they had received another call from room 811. And again, it's just a woman screaming... And hanging up. So they quickly run up to 811. No one was there, but the light was on and the phone was unplugged. And then Dan heard the elevator go down. So he radioed the others on the main floor and asked them, but none of them had pressed the button. 
So I guess another security guy on the main floor was like, yeah, we're going to get out of here. Like, he was not waiting for that ele- no, elevator door to open up. No, minimum wage. Yeah. Like. So lastly, another story comes from the Schaefer building, which used to have a swimming pool in it, but it's now a dance hall. Mm-hmm. Apparently, a student on the swim team died in the pool after jumping off the diving board and hitting his head on the bottom. So security now like doesn't even like having to go in there because the hauntings are so creepy. And like I said, the pool is no longer there. Right. It's just a dance studio. But wet footprints will still appear on the floors of the studio. Like no water anywhere, but wet footprints. Dan Turner said that when he was in that room, uh, the room was dark as it should be because Mm -hmm. nobody's supposed to be in there. But then all of a sudden the light turns on and when he walks over to investigate, there's nothing there but a puddle of water on the floor. (sighs) So he, you know, called in for backup. They looked around. No idea where this water came from, but it's it's just there. So. I hate it. I know. Mm-mm. Such a spooky place. With very horrific but very interesting history. Yeah. Yeah. Really if you guys awful. go there or went there, I'd love to hear more about it. Yeah. How cool would that be if we got an email from someone that went there? But yeah, that's that's all I have. Just some very spooky hauntings at Kenyon College. Colleges are wild. Greek life is fucking wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if there's more places like this, like colleges specifically. There's gotta be. There's gotta be, because I was looking up some of, like, the statistics, and from 1969 to 2021, there have been over 200 university hazing deaths. Just from hazing? Yes. Yep. Oh my god. And 40 of them are just from between 2007 and 2017. So 10 years. Yes. Wow. That's what I'm saying. How is this? But it also says that membership has declined by roughly 30% from 2017 to 2021. Yeah, I would hope so. Like, who would want to willingly put themselves through that? I don't know. But then, like, okay, so 85% of the Fortune 500 executives belong to a fraternity. Oh. And um, 40 of 47 U.S. Supreme Court justices since 1910 were fraternity men 76 of all congressmen and senators belong to a fraternity. That's so scary. That's so scary. I know. That I, these are the, like, like, these are the people that back in their time were doing these hazing right. rituals like, and now they're running a fucking show. That's so crazy. What? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I don't, I don't get it. I, I don't either. I don't know. Yeah. I, Send us your shit. <laughs> it was a it was a spooky one. It was. I really liked this story. I've never heard of it before, but um Excellent Pink Fandom. Yes. Thank you very much. Um, we appreciate you all being here. 
thank you for being so kind and lovely. Yeah. We hope you have a wonderful week. And remember to always, always keep, keep it spooky. spooky.